0: Let's go. Romans chapter, 15. Romans chapter 15. 15. If you don't have a Bible, uh, find one real quick. I'd offer you one, but we're kind of far away right now. Um, maybe you've got one laying around the house somewhere. Uh, maybe you have to dig it out from something. Uh, that's okay. Go ahead and find it just real fast. Um, several of y'all are, uh, are used to using it on your phone or your iPad or something like that uh, each morning uh, when we're here to t- together. But you're probably, if I'm guessing right, watching this video right now on that device and you can't do both at once so i'm so sorry but you're gonna to have to have a real bible today i'm just it makes me so sad um but uh, so we're going to be uh, putting the uh, the text for this morning up on uh, the screens behind me, but also I think on your screen uh, at some point through the morning, uh, so you'll have it there too. But man, God just kind of uses real Bibles in a way that he doesn't use uh, the screen. Screens are great. Their technology is great. We love that. But God seems to use his word, the printed copy of his word in your lap. He seems to use that in a special way. Uh, and so uh, we believe that God uses his word for all kinds of super important things, but chief among those important things that he uses it to reveal himself to his people and and like we for real want you to know god like that, that's the aim and the mission of national baptist church and so if you don't have a bible uh outside of this place well uh give me a phone call or email maybe we can do something about that um also just as just as a little pro tip if you start reading the bible through this week like you're stuck at home right now guess what you could do lots of right like Like maybe, just maybe, Bible reading is a great way to fill some time, Uh, but you know, I got my own ideas about that kind of stuff. Um, so Romans chapter 15. Uh, so we might be quarantined like everybody else is, but that doesn't mean that, that we have to shut everything down or shut down what God has been doing. Uh, he's been walking us over the last year through uh, a series that we've been calling Just and Justifier. It's a it's a slow-ish walk through the book of Romans, right? And so Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in the city of Rome. That's That's how we get to naming it Romans. It's just really simple and brilliant that way, Uh, but it's a letter that we think he wrote about 56 AD. We think he's in Corinth when he's writing this, and he's wanting to uh, travel to Spain. He's preparing to travel to Spain to preach the gospel there. He's, He's worked tirelessly in Asia Minor. He's worked in Greece, and Paul believes that God is now calling him to take the next step and move west, to preach the gospel and plant churches in new places. And so he writes this letter to the Roman church to ask them for help in getting there. And so that means that, in a sense, Romans is a missionary support letter, right? But instead of just saying, hey guys, uh, we're on the same team, Uh, can you help a brother out? Uh, Paul instead crafts a masterpiece logical argument for the global need of the gospel and why God is raising up him and a lot of other people to take that gospel to the nations. In other words, Romans is a massive vision for why people need to be saved and how God is saving them. That's the book of Romans in a nutshell. And over the last several weeks, Paul has shifted from the theology driving all of this stuff to the practical application of this stuff. And specifically the last three weeks, we've been, we've been looking at this balance that exists between Christian liberty and the responsibility of mature believers to sometimes lay down those liberties for the benefit of others. That we have complete freedom in Christ. There's, there's no spiritual authority that gets to, to take those things away from you, but we love our brother far more, significantly more than we love our liberties. And so the choice is actually pretty easy for us. And we're, we're dealing with some of that right now, right? Like we, we have a liberty to gather together. That's our right. That's a God-given right. And if under different circumstances, if our governmental authorities restricted gathering because they were trying to suppress the gospel in any way, like I would be the very first person in my line to be thumbing my nose at them. That, that's something that we're about here. But we also saw a couple of months ago in Romans chapter 13, JB walked us through that a few months back, when our leaders are trying to lead faithfully, when they're looking to serve the community, we gladly lay down our liberties in order to serve others. Both of those things are important to us. And so we're doing the video thing this morning, not because, not because we're scared of some virus, but because we genuinely love our neighbor and we want to submit to authority because we genuinely want to serve those who are vulnerable. And so it's easy for us to say yes to those things. And just to call a time out for a second, like, isn't it really cool? Isn't it really cool how our God always seems to work sovereignly over the calendar? Right? Like, I mean, we're in a sermon series that we've been working on for a year now and it's a series that we are planning for a year before that. We, this is something that's been that's been being put into place for 2 years now in our church and God is high and exalted in the heavens and these things are fresh upon us precisely when he wants them to be. Isn't our God good? He is good to us in that way. And so Paul has been working the Roman church, through these things, he's, he's built his argument, he's set the stage for what God is doing, or has done and is doing, and that brings us to our text for this morning. Romans chapter 15, look at verse 14 with me. Paul says this, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, Filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Verse 15, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Let's stop there for a second because call time out. Okay, so Paul seems to think that this church in Rome already has a bunch of this stuff on lockdown. Like he, he, he believes that this church already understands and is practicing the stuff that he's playing out in this letter. He's not writing to immature believers here. He's writing to people who have been around for a while. He's, he's, they're, they're a healthy church who probably knows their Old Testament pretty well. They, they probably are receiving sound teaching at a regular clip, on a regular basis, and they're, they're probably practicing Christian service in some form or fashion. But that doesn't stop Paul from writing this letter. It doesn't stop Paul from walking them through these things. And the question that emerges out of that is, well, well why? Why is he writing them a letter of stuff that they already know and understand? Well, it's because the assumption that a Christian already knows something and should therefore now move on past it is actually an incredibly dangerous assumption. It's a wildly dangerous assumption. The posture that looks at foundational things and says, nah, nah, I got that. I, I don't need that anymore. I'm past that. Give me something new. Guys, that's, not, that's, a, that's a posture that's not very far away from Crumbling. This is why you see me repeating specific things here every single week, over and over again. This is why you see me repeating things here uh, 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 over and over, just banging the drum again, 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 season after season. It's because the moment that we forget the fundamentals, we veer away from what's ac- what we've actually been called to do, and we, we land ourselves in a place where it's really, really easy to lose the plot place where it's really easy to focus ourselves and chase after the wrong things instead of the right things. And and chief among those fundamentals to constantly remind ourselves of is the gospel itself, right? And this is why Paul builds his missionary support letter from the ground up. This is why he starts with the character of God and then moves quickly from there to our fallen character produced by our sin. This is, this is why he spends paragraph after paragraph after paragraph indicting us in our sin and proving the case that we rightly deserve the holy wrath of God. This is his aim. It's also, guys, why he shows us Jesus. That's why he shows us Jesus, the sinless sacrifice that stands in our place and soaks up that wrath through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. He gives us the answer. Rome was an incredibly strategic city for the advancement of the gospel it was the center of the known world in the first century everything was going in and out and through the city of rome paul knows how strategic the city of rome is but paul also knows that the fuel that's needed for his mission to be successful is not strategy it's not laying out a multi-phase plan Now, Paul deeply understands that what's most needed in this moment is for God's people to be rightly reminded of why they are here. Why they're here. Because when God's people get the fundamentals right, all of the other stuff tends to fall in its proper place. Paul knows that they know these things, but the mission of the kingdom is far too important to be fueled by anything less than what is of core importance in the kingdom. And so he's faithful to remind them. And then he steps back and he trusts that God is big and that God is going to use that for his purposes and for his glory. And and just between you and me and the rest of the internet, I, I really think that a lot of churches in our day would be served very well by just remembering that simple strategy and applying it. I, I think we I think we spin ourselves into a tizzy sometimes. And the example we see in the Bible over and over again is bang the drum. Bang the drum again and again, and then watch what God does through his people. But look what Paul says next. Look at verse 15. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God, verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified, or we could say cleansed by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so admittedly there is a little bit or we could say a lot of confusion about verse 16 here. Um, So in the Bible, a priest is someone who stands in the gap as a mediator between God and man. God is too holy. He is too righteous. He is too good. And then man is too everything not that. We could say man is too sinful. So there needs to be, must be a representative in the middle to speak and act on behalf of each party. And so this is why God instituted the priestly system in the Old Testament. This is why he gave them the priest. A holy God and a sinful man cannot live in proximity to each other, and so something must be in between. And so God gave the Jewish people a system that taught exactly that. He gave them the priests. But here's the massive problem they ran into. Men turned into priests does not a holy mediator make. They fell short. The priests walked in the door dirty. So they always first had to make offerings for themselves before they were allowed to make offerings on behalf of others. And then even after they had done that, their offerings had to be repeated over and over and over again, Uh, week after week, month after month, year after year. And so not only did God give them a system that taught them the separation that their sin had created, but in the very same moment, because our God is good, he also gave them a millennia-long frustration of never actually being able to bridge that divide. He grounded into them clearly. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is where Jesus steps in. The eternal Son of God put on flesh and he dwelt uh, among us and he lived the sinless life that neither you nor I are capable of living. And in his sinlessness, his sacrifice on the cross is eternally acceptable. And this is why the writer of Hebrews calls him our great high priest. Sinful man is an insufficient mediator for a holy God. And so God came and he did it himself. Instead of needing to offer sacrifice after sacrifice, Jesus offers one single sacrifice, and then the job is done. Or we could just use Jesus' own words, it is finished. There's no more need for an earthly priest between God and man because Jesus is our forever high priest. And Paul knows that. Oh guys, Paul knows that. Paul, In fact, Paul might know that better than anybody else ever has known that. Paul knows that there's no longer a need for an earthly priest between God and man because Jesus is our priest. He taught that. He knew that. He defended that doctrine. So why is he talking about offering priestly sacrifices here in Romans 15? W- what's, he, what's he doing here? Well, I think he's talking about the same thing that he was talking about back in chapter 12 when he made the turn from theology to practice. That, that shift from indicative to imperative. Paul, Paul says that we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, right? That we offer to God every bit of ourselves as our reasonable, logical, spiritual act of worship. And while it certainly starts with yourself, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. That's not the only thing we offer. You can reasonably offer other things to God too. And so here in chapter 15, we see Paul, we see that Paul considers his work as an apostle to the Gentiles, and I would say specifically the fruit of those Gentiles becoming believers and members of the kingdom. He sees that as an offering back to God, like a priest offering a sacrifice on behalf of others. Paul sees his calling and his life's work as a Holy Spirit-produced gift. He stands in the gap on behalf of the Gentiles, calling them into the kingdom. And you can see his posture towards this in his tone in the next verse. Look at verse 17. In Christ Jesus, then... I have reason to be proud of my work uh, for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Okay, so Paul boasts, right? He boasts, but his boasting is focused solely on Christ and the work of Christ through him. Which means, uh, like, like, can can we just be honest? That's a little different from the way you and I tend to boast. Or or am I alone in that? Like, just a smidge? I, I don't know about you, but I tend to desperately search for any opportunity I can find to make a big deal out of myself. I guess I am alone, maybe, I don't know. Paul... Paul sees the glory of his life's work. Everything he has poured himself into for the last however many years, from the moment Jesus claimed him as his own to the moment he's writing this letter, every second, every faithful act, Paul sees the glory of his life's work as belonging to a holy someone else. A far more worthy someone else and he refuses to even speak of it in any other way and so every success story that he can point to has one author and and every gentile that paul has led to christ has one focus of celebration and and even the miracles that he was a part of the signs that god worked powerfully through him they were all given for a singular purpose the accomplishment of paul's mission for the glory of god And so in verse 19, you see him start naming some places. He says, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. Jerusalem is easy. Probably most everybody here, even people watching at home, could point to it on a map. But where in the world is Illyricum? Well, we happen to have a slickly produced visual aid for you this morning. And by slickly produced means I, I drew with my finger on a picture. You're welcome. All right, so Illyricum. Illyricum uh, was a Roman province uh, in the Roman Empire, and that's that dark shaded piece uh, inside the circle. That is the region of Illyricum. You'll see that it's on the western coast of the Adriatic Sea. All right? And so that is Illyricum. Jerusalem's down at the bottom of the circle. Illyricum is at near the top of the circle. And everything in between is kind of the region that Paul lived and worked. And so Paul's life work just kind of uh, built God's kingdom, or builts probably the wrong word, he established and preached the gospel and planted churches all over the eastern edge of the Roman Empire. He's been faithful. He's won people to Christ. He's defended doctrine. and maybe most importantly he's planted healthy churches all over the place. Now this doesn't mean that everybody in that region knows Jesus, not even close, but but because he's focused on church planting, because he's focused on church planting, that means that he's worked hard to put people and systems in place where he doesn't have to be there anymore. There are lots of people sharing the gospel with everybody else, and so ministry will go on long without him. And so the question emerges for Paul what's next? What's my next move? What would God have me do next? And so he begins to answer that question in verse 20. Paul says, And thus I make it my ambition To preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, and he quotes Isaiah 52 here those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. All right, so Paul says it's time for me to move on. It's time for me to take the next step and take the gospel to the next place. And so I'm not building a kingdom for myself here. Other people are now working mightily for God's glory to build his kingdom. And so there are other places where people don't know Jesus yet. And so I need to get to those other places and tell them about Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. And this is one of the reasons why missions is such a huge deal around here. It's also one of the reasons why church planting is a growing concern that we're working on. We don't want to build an empire to ourselves. We don't want that. We want as much as we can to be sending people and resources out from here to affect other places. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I mean, this is a video on the Internet, and you've got to be careful with things like that. Um, This isn't a big church or a little church issue. NBC is is big compared to some people's estimations, and it's really, really tiny compared to some other people's estimations. All right, we're kind of in the middle. It's uh, really—this isn't a big church or a small church thing. Neither big churches nor small churches are better than another. God uses both in unique ways for His glory. All right? But what is important, no matter what size church we're talking about, ours included— is a core-level dedication to build God's kingdom instead of our own. Core-level dedication to to use our abilities and to use our resources and to use every single thing he has set in our lap, resources for his kingdom on his kingdom instead of ourselves. It's another drum that we want to bang incessantly, incessantly around here over and over again. Paul desperately wants to get to that next frontier mission beyond even Rome. He wants to get to Spain. But here's the rub. Because despite the ideal and despite the ambitions in Paul's heart, God is still king, not Paul. So look what he says next in verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their, for if the Gentiles have come to share in their uh, spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings too. Verse twenty-eight. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what I have, what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So Paul has really wanted to get to Rome for a long time now. Again, he's, he's a strategy guy. He knows the strategy. He knows how important Rome is. He's wanted to get there. He's heard all these great things that God is doing in this church he hasn't connected with yet. And so he wants to fellowship with them. He longs to get to Rome, but there's always been more work for uh, to be done where God has placed him. He couldn't get there. He couldn't just drop it and leave, he's had work to do. But now, that work seems to have reached its fruition, and he's ready to go. He's ready to go. But there's one last little project to deal with. The Gentile Christians in Macedonia and Achaia have raised some money for the persecuted and poor in Jerusalem, and they they feel it's their responsibility to help them, and so Paul before paul can head to rome he, he's he got to go the opposite direction and deliver that support to the church in jerusalem and if you know your bible well then you might remember that in acts 20 paul makes it as far as miletus where he meets with the F, uh, elders from the church at ephesus who came and met him in miletus to talk to him and they tell him don't go to don't go to jerusalem man They are waiting to arrest you. They don't like you there, all right? Uh, The Jewish authorities there will capture you, and they'll probably kill you. Don't go to Jerusalem. It's a trap. Don't you dare do that. And then Paul goes, I'm going anyways. I don't care. I'm going. And shortly after he arrives in Jerusalem, he's arrested. And then Paul spends the next several years, and the rest of the book of Acts in one form of imprisonment or another. As far as we are aware, Paul never got to Spain. Sometimes mission trips get canceled. Paul never got to Spain. Paul had wonderful plans. They were smart plans. They were God-glorifying plans, but God had different plans for Paul. He had different plans for Paul. But while he probably never got to Spain, that doesn't mean he never got to Rome. He just didn't go there freely. Paul would end up going there in chains. He would be a prisoner in Rome more than once, we believe, actually. The first time is in the last chapter of the book of Acts, chapter 28. He spent two years there under house arrest. But man, how greatly did God use him during those two years Acts literally ends with Luke telling us that Paul was, quote, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. But I thought he was under house arrest. Yeah, yeah, he was. But is anybody dumb enough to believe that God is somehow slowed down by house arrest? You think that stopped him? You think God's in heaven going, I had this great plan for Paul, but that Roman emperor, I don't know what to do with that guy. Those of us in quarantine and playing the social distancing game right now, do you really think that those things could ever slow down the work of God when he wants to do something? Not for one second. God can, and hear me, God will do great things for his name during this season. Write it down. It's happening. He is not handcuffed by this. Not for one moment. He is using this. He will show himself strong. He will show himself good. Not in spite of this, but listen, because of this. Not in spite of this. He's not trying, not reeling and coming up with a a plan B. No, no, no. He's working in this and through this. Just to reveal a little bit of myself that I'm not always proud of. This is why I to seriously bite my tongue whenever Christians want to point to God and kind of hold him up as a talisman to claim that uh, they'll never be affected by a bad thing in this world. You kidding me? God is bigger than a virus. God is stronger than a virus. He won't let us get sick. Can can the pastor on the internet video just level with you for a second? Yeah, he actually might. He, He really might. And it's not because he's not stronger than a virus, and it's not because... He's not bigger and stronger and better. It's not, it's not because he's overpowered by the things of this world. It's because he is using all things. All things for his glory and for the expansion of his eternal kingdom. All things. And so when, when we're healthy, our, our job is to win people to Jesus, and He gets the glory. And when we're sick, our job is to win people to Jesus, and He gets the glory. And when you're in prison, our job is to win people to Jesus, and He gets the glory. And if we're free, our job is always, and ever will be, to win people to Jesus, and He gets the glory. Paul sees his own life, his own life. And he, he, Paul sees that In every step he has taken so far, and he is willing to take whatever step God calls him to next. Whatever God wants to give him. And why can he do it joyfully? Because he knows, he knows deep down that he has been called to faithfulness, and God will do what God will do. Which leads him to this last part in verse 30. He says to the Roman church, I appeal to you, brothers, Paul writes this letter before the Ephesian elders warn him not to go to Jerusalem. But he already sees it coming. He knows what awaits him when he gets there. He knows that showing up in Jerusalem, uh, he knows that that's going to be a problem. But his confidence is in what God is doing. And his trust is in that nothing will come to him that wasn't given to him by the hand of his God. And so that trust outweighs all the concerns that he might have. He loves his brothers and sisters in Jerusalem more than his own liberty. And so he asks for prayer and then he takes the next step. He goes. What else can he do in this moment but love well and, and walk in humility? And our call is no different than his. We might be removed from Paul for by a couple thousand years, but our call is no different than his. Whether, whether our country is in lockdown because of a virus they can't control or we're breezing through this place without a care in the world, our call is never anything different. And that leads us to our last question for the day. What do we do with this? What do we do with this? See, whenever God's word is declared, it demands a response. That's true whether we're gathering together in a big room like this or we're watching on a cell phone right now. When God speaks, things happen. When God's word is declared, it demands a response. And so how do we respond to God's word this morning? Well, I think if you're a follower of Jesus, your response is to press into God. I mean, I know that's always our answer around here, but doesn't that make a whole lot more sense when your whole world's falling apart? (laughs) When all the normal comforts and securities have been stripped away from us? Press into God. You do that by repenting of your sin and leaning into who he reveals himself to be in Romans 15, the one who is worthy of whatever cost is on the table. What are some things that you've had taken away from you this week and you can feel it? Like it, like it's actually rocked you. Sure, other things have been lost and you sloughed it off, but there's that one thing and it's got you a little bit worried. What's that one thing? And everybody's got a different one thing, but the question is the same for everybody. Is God bigger and better than that one thing? Is he more fulfilling? Is he enough to actually carry you through if that one thing never comes back? What if? What if our God is big enough and smart enough and good enough to have you exactly where he wants you right now in order to change what you put your hope in? What if he's lovingly calling you to cling to him instead of that thing? I'm going to pray and we're going to sing, follower of Jesus, press deeply into our God this morning. If you're watching and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, you can respond to God's word too. And you do that by meeting Jesus. By meeting Jesus. The sin that separates you, your sin separates you from a holy God. It it deserves his righteous punishment. The wages, the thing rightfully earned for your sin is death. And God will not fail to rule as the one who is perfectly just. He will give to all exactly what they deserve. He, but not only is he perfectly just, at the very same time, in the very same moment, God is also the great justifier. He made a way where there was no way. The eternal son of God put on flesh and dwelt among us. He lived the sinless life that neither you nor I are capable of living. He died on the cross as a substitute to make payment for your sin. And he was raised from the dead as a proof that his righteousness is enough to spare. And so now the king who conquered death itself, Jesus, calls on you to respond to him in repentance and faith this morning. You can do that right now even through a computer screen. I promise you, our God is big enough to work out the details. You can respond to him this morning. Repent of your sin. Call on him as Lord and Savior and you will be saved. Listen, I may not be there to walk you through it, but that doesn't mean we can't talk. Call me. Email me at the office this week. I'd love to help you make more sense of what that response looks like. Whether you need me or you don't. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. And church, let's all respond to God's word in this moment. Father, thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for the book of Romans. Thank you for the call to lay down what is easy and lay down what might be more valuable to us for the sake of loving our brother, of serving the vulnerable, of honoring the emperor. Help us respond faithfully in this season. God, with everything that we do as a church, both in this time when we can't gather and in the season to come where we will one day celebrate together again, with everything that that drives us and unifies us and, and, and defines us. Be God-glorifying instead of National Baptist Church-glorifying. Would you help us position ourselves and structure ourselves so that your name is made famous instead of ours? As we seek to be the church more scattered than normal? Would you unify us? Would you give us unique ways to press into community? But God, would you also help us point clearly and unapologetically to the good King? For those in here who who know you, who love you, who are following you, would you help us Help us evangelize well and serve well and come beside those as best we can. And for those in here who don't know you yet, would you make yourself known to people this morning? Would you call people unto your name and draw people into your kingdom? So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.